Hi everyone, I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Humata. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast series from Association Briefings, where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, mark on strategy, people, membership, and money. Colby, I know your precious Texas Rangers baseball team is playing well, you know, for now, but have you been watching any of the NBA playoffs? Oh man, Frank, as a 30 plus year Rangers fan, I've seen this before and it never plays out well. Like every year, I'll keep my fingers crossed and hold my breath a little while longer and we can continue this chat in our October episode. But you're right, since I've been so wrapped up in my first place Rangers, I haven't caught a ton of the NBA playoffs. Uh, why not? It's been wild. There's been so many good games and upsets, but you know, this unhealthy amount of basketball watching I've been doing is it's gotten me thinking. You know, these these sports heroes we devote hours of our free time watching, every time out, practice, pregame, or even postgame, they rely on a coach to help them you know, build up their confidence, uh, lead them, and even develop new skills. But do you feel that enough professionals or executives are utilizing a form of coaching, you know, once they hit a level of status? Ooh, that's a great question, Frank. Um, and honestly, I think the answer is unfortunately no. I mean, you know, I, I think we could all use a little coaching in our professional lives. That's someone to improve our leadership capabilities. That's someone to help boost our team performance. Uh, that's someone to improve collaboration or to strengthen our resiliency to change or to, to just lean on when times get rough. I mean, so much has changed in the association and nonprofit communities over the last three years, right? We're all wearing multiple hats, finding less time for ourselves, and we're having to figure out how to calm that burnout, not only for ourselves, but for our teams and our volunteers. So yeah, I mean, give me a Steve Kerr any day to help me be a better leader, right? So Frank, who do we have on the podcast today? We have Dr. Lakia Cherry, who is an executive leadership coach who has dedicated her career to the growth and development of individuals and the organizations they are a part of. It was her own experience with coaching that ignited her passion to support individuals, teams, and organizations to lead more authentically and courageously. Lakia is the former chief executive officer of the Network for Social Work Management, an international organization dedicated to strengthening and mobilizing diverse social impact leaders through education, leadership development, networking, and community building. Under her leadership, the network expanded globally and introduced transformative programming that not only produced better leaders, but also enhanced organizational cultures. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cherry. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Kobe. Good to see both of you. Well, it's good to see you as well. And we'll go ahead and get started and dive right in. Uh, Lakia, what exactly is an executive leadership coach and who benefits most from this type of coaching? Good question. So typically an executive coach, I put the words together because I do both, um, but an executive coach is someone who works primarily with senior leadership to help them to become more aware of their blind spots. So it's someone who is a trusted partner working with a leader to enhance their self-awareness, become more aware of their strengths, their areas for improvement, to identify goals, and then hold them accountable for the attainment of those goals. I love talking about a career journey, where you've been and where you are today. You came from the social work community, was actually CEO of the Network for Social Work Management. 
how did your experience help transition your career to coaching? Great question. So when I first came into the network, there was a lot that I didn't know. This was my first executive role. And I realized relatively quickly that I needed support and I needed support external to the organization. So I applied for a fellowship program for women leaders of social impact, where throughout the fellowship, you can have an opportunity to work with an executive coach for about six months. So I had never admittedly heard of executive coaching prior to applying for this fellowship. But my executive coach was a woman who came from the corporate sector who, similar to what I'm doing now, had transitioned into coaching. And her job was to work with women leaders to help strengthen their leadership skills, develop more confidence in their abilities, figure out how to incorporate more boundaries in their life, as well as strategize within their respective roles. And so prior to coming to the network, I had in a previous role been a therapist. And so I have therapeutic experience. I've been a therapist. I've worked with people in a coaching-like way. So when she first started coaching me, I recognized how similar yet different therapy was to coaching, but how I liked coaching more. And I already had the skills as a social worker to do this. And so after my first experience with a coach, in the back of my mind, I always knew that at some point in my career, I would transition to being a coach full time. So I continued my work with the network. And in my work with the network, I um, supported a lot of other executives, executives of color, new leaders, middle managers. And oftentimes they were seeking that same support that I was seeking when I first obtained a coach. I recognize that within the nonprofit and association sector, many leaders were not yet working with coaches in the same way leaders within the business and tech sector were working with coaches. So I saw an avenue, I saw an opportunity for myself and others within this sector. However, I was still growing the network. So again, put it in the back of my mind, but still knew at some point I was going to look into coaching. So then I moved into a doctoral program and I focused on addressing the racial leadership gap in the nonprofit sector. The more research I did, I saw that despite the systemic issues leaders of color were facing, coaching was one area that could support them with navigating the barriers they were facing. So again, another confirmation that coaching was extremely important for leaders of all races and leaders of all sectors. So once I graduated, I decided that everyone needs a side hustle. I'm going to start a business, go into a coaching program, and I'm going to be that coach who comes into the nonprofit and association sector and helps to address the unmet needs of other leaders. So that was long-winded, but that was essentially my path. It started with me first getting a coach and recognizing how valuable it was for me to have an external party who is committed to my growth and development. That, that's a great answer. And I think that, you know, Frank and I have known you, you know, for, for some time now. You're definitely a people person. You look to strengthen others. And I think that that's been your, your entire career path. And here you are in your coaching career doing the same thing. So it only makes sense that you're in the direction that you're going right now. 
Thank you. More confirmation. <laughs> and your response to the last question is a great segue to our next one. You touched on it briefly, but what would you say are some of the main benefits of receiving executive leadership coaching for an association or nonprofit leader? Well, again, everyone needs support. So regardless of what level you're at within an organization, many leaders suffer from self-limiting beliefs. Many leaders suffer from imposter syndrome. Many leaders need that external person, you know, not necessarily their friend, not necessarily their partner, someone outside of their organization that they can talk to about what's going on, who can help them to reflect, who can help them to become more aware of their mindset, their beliefs, and whether or not those ideas that are within their head are actually helping them or hindering them. It's also important for us to be aware of our blind spots. And a coach has the ability to do a 360 assessment with you, but also to help you to see things about yourself that you might not already know or be willing to hear from other people within your organization. But then also, uh, values. Oftentimes with my clients, we're talking about what are your core values? Why does it matter? How do you rely on and live into your core values to help you navigate how you show up in your day-to-day -day life? Are you living in integrity with your values? Are your values in alignment with the organization's values? And so again, when you think about an association and a nonprofit leader, most of us working within this space we're focused on social impact. We care about mission. We want to make a difference in the world. So having someone who can help you be your best self so that you can live into that mission is incredibly helpful. It was for me at least. And what would you say the importance of mentorship and career development is? Oh my gosh. So, so, so important. Like that's, that's an obvious one. So mentorship, when I think back to my life, I'm a first-generation college student, and there is so much that I didn't know growing up. But for me, I'm a sponge. So from a young age, I look to teachers who I really respected and like, and I look to them for guidance, for advice, for mentorship, if you will. I look to people who were doing things that I wanted to do or who have been there, done that, not necessarily to copy or mimic what they did, but to hear some ideas, some best practices, some strategies, and then to figure out what fit with me and who I am and what I might be willing to try or do. But then also a mentor has your back. And so none of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to face hardships. And again, in a different way from a coach, a mentor can hold that mirror to you. A mentor can be there to support you regardless of what's going on. And so when you think about career development, it's important for all of us to assemble a board of advisors. And so we should have people of all ages, all races, who work within all different sectors, who knows us, who we trust, who we've developed a strong relationship with, who is going to hold us accountable and support us and help us to learn and grow in different ways. Excellent. I like that answer a lot. Um, switching gears slightly, you know, the idea of executive burnout, it's all over the nonprofit and association press. Maybe it's been around a while, and, but now we're, we're getting more and more comfortable talking about it. 
especially since we're all starting to wear more and more hats here in the space. But what's the one piece of advice you'd give an association executive who has been running close to empty for the last few years? I would say take care of you now. It's so important for us to prioritize our health and well-being. And we hear this all the time. Like, we know this. Ideally, we are giving this feedback and this advice to those we lead, those within our organizations, but we can't pour from an empty cup. And if we're not prioritizing our own physical health and mental health, then eventually it is going to have an impact. It's going to impact our relationships within the organization, within our family, within our friend groups. And so it's so important for us to take care of ourselves now. And that can look different. And, you know, for some people, it might be just setting time aside multiple days of the week to go for a walk or to ride your Peloton or go to the gym. But for others, it could be therapy, having weekly or, you know, multiple sessions with a therapist a month to talk about, you know, what you're going through and to seek additional support for your mental health and well-being. And so I'd say take care of you. You know what you need. All of us know what we need. I was burnt out. I was a burnt out executive. But for me, as someone with perfectionist tendencies who is an achiever, I thought I was just working hard. I thought this is what is required in order for me to have an impact. I want to make a difference. I have all of this work. I have to do it if I want to be successful. And I've learned along the way that success for me is that freedom to work out, that freedom to go for a walk, that freedom to actually enjoy your vacation so that you come back more creative, you come back more innovative. And admittedly, it's still work in progress for me. It's very hard for me to prioritize my health and well-being despite knowing how important it is. But also as I'm getting older, I recognize that I want to continue to live a good thriving life and I need to be responsible for my health and well-being and take the steps needed to prioritize me. I think that's really important what you're saying. I think a lot of us think that in order to divert burnout, we have to take you know week-long vacations, et cetera. It's just that that small amount of me time, the walks that you're talking about, the working out that you're talking about, just these these little snippets of time, we all have to have some time in our schedule to be able to do that at some point. And I think it's very much needed, as you said, for our, our mental health and, and well-being. Exactly. Quick comment on that. You said it could be like a quick snippet or something. So for myself, I work from home and I often have back-to-back meetings And so if I feel myself getting mentally drained and emotionally taxed, I'll just walk into my bedroom and lay in my bed, literally just lay in my bed for 20 minutes with my alarm on. And regardless of whether I go to sleep or not, that quick moment of rest is the perfect reset needed to come back to my desk fresh and ready to go. Yeah, that mental reset is so important. We need to do more of it, definitely. We talk about helping ourselves with burnout. We have to look at our teams as well. How can an executive leadership coach help an association leader build more effective teams and foster collaboration among team members? 
And this has to include your board members and your volunteers as well. Yeah. So when I first spoke about executive coaching, executive leadership coaching, I spoke about the importance of inner work and the coach helping the leader to get to know themselves. But it's also important for the leader to get to know their teams, get to know their board members, and to research and discover and assess what is currently going on. What is the current situation? Are members of my team burnt out? Are my board members less engaged? Are people still satisfied here? Are they still motivated? What else is going on that may impact their productivity, their ability to collaborate, their ability to create? And so it's really important to analyze and assess the current state of all of your different teams, your board members, your volunteers. Um, that can look like surveys. It can look like focus groups, listening sessions. And so once you have that information, really working with them and co-creating to figure out what's next, you know, identifying the strengths. When I was a CEO, whenever we had a board retreat, we would oftentimes do a SWOT analysis. So really thinking about the strengths of the organization, the strengths of the team, the strengths of the board members, the strengths of the volunteers. What are some weaknesses or areas for improvement? What are some opportunities based on the listening sessions and what you've heard? What are you not doing? Do you need to give people half days? Do you need to let people work from home more often? Do you need to give incentives and appreciate people a little bit more? And what's likely to happen if you don't do any of that? So I'd focus on that. And then again, I would develop a plan and I would not develop that plan alone. Transparency is incredibly important. And if you've taken the time to ask people to evaluate and rate and give you information, people want to know what you heard. So then I would report back what I heard, what I've seen, what I'm considering, get additional feedback, and then work with volunteers to create a plan with measurable goals and outcomes. And then the coach can help hold you accountable to those goals and those outcomes. It's great. And switching gears to the future of work in the nonprofit and association communities, where do you see the future of work and how can associations prepare? A lot of associations are outdated. Uh, many of them have incredibly outdated policies and practices. Many of them are not necessarily moving with the time, so to speak, um, especially as it pertains to technology. For me, I used to work at a startup and I've always been impressed by tech and what's happening. So right now we have things such as chat GPT. Um, we have digital transformations happening right before us. You know, are we scared and anxious about it? Or are we doing our best to learn and to figure out how we can utilize these tools to our benefit? You know, what would it look like to partner with tech companies or to seek grants and other corporate dollars to help us to better engage with our stakeholders, to automate our processes, streamline our operations. A lot of nonprofits and associations are afraid of tech, but this is the future. The future is already here. So we need to focus on that digital transformation. Other things I mentioned before that my research was in addressing the racial leadership gap within an, the nonprofit sector. We still have a lot of growth to do as it pertains to DEI, DJA, 
whatever you want to call it, organizations are still not racially diverse at the top. This includes in senior leadership as well as within boards of directors. And so as opposed to continuing to talk about our commitment to social justice, inclusivity, et cetera, we actually need to do something about it. We need to diversify our pipeline because if you look at data, our world is becoming significantly more diverse. And so we're going to have to meet the needs of our times. Other things, a lot of organizations are having difficulty with sustainability, financial sustainability. A lot of them are overly reliant on federal dollars. Many of them are reliant on donations. But without any of that, how will they continue to do you know, what it is that their mission calls them to do? And so it will be important for them to be, begin collaborating and partnering with other organizations with similar uh, missions. I think we're going to see a lot more mergers. We don't need a hundred organizations all doing the same thing. What would it look like for organizations to begin to merge and to pull all their resources together to focus on that calls as a united front as opposed to, you know, many disjointed organizations. So these are a couple of the things that I think we're going to see a lot more. And I think back to the DEI point, if organizations don't prioritize that, you're going to begin to see more leaders of color resign from their organizations and begin starting their own businesses. And the data already shows that this is happening. Regarding DEI, I think as we look at the progress of DEI within organizations and where we are today versus where we were, you know, two years ago, do you feel that the emphasis on DEI is still there? Is there a fear that based on, you know, what the economy is doing, is there any fear that the passion that the organizations had for DEI two years ago is waning a little bit? Yes, definitely. Especially because if you think about it, with George Floyd's murder, a lot of organizations and companies around the U.S. and some globally began focusing on DEI. But why did it take that? How come we haven't been focusing on it, you know, the last hundred plus years? And so many organizations were performative. You know, they released their statement, they hired their DEI people. Some of them were part of the exec team. Some of them were not. Many of them began diversifying their workforce. But with a lot of the layoffs we see, they're losing traction with their DEI work. People, processes, and services are often the first to be cut. So you see a lot of organizations are laying off the DEI teams that they hired. They're reducing or eliminating the budget that was focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so it may seem like a good idea for the time being due to the economy and due to what they're seeing um, within their budget, but ultimately it's going to impact them in the long run. Yeah, all good points. So I wanna talk a little bit from a, a leadership perspective. There are many qualities of a great leader and obviously each leader is different. Uh, but in your opinion, what are three qualities a leader should have to successfully lead teams in today's climate? So this is uh, 
hybrid answer in many ways. So first, self-aware and emotionally intelligent. I recently did a keynote where I showed a slide that talks about the 10 blind spots of a leader. And so through my research, I saw that the higher up a leader goes, the less emotionally intelligent they actually are. So if you can imagine, you know, as people are climbing, if they're less emotionally intelligent, if they lack empathy, if they lack self-awareness, imagine the impact that is going to have on the team and the organization, which is why coaching is extremely beneficial because that coach can be that person who can, again, shine that mirror in your face, allow you to become aware of your blind spots, allow you to really embrace empathy and understanding and that deep reflection. So self-awareness, incredibly important. And then inclusivity. Um, regardless of race, people want to feel that they belong. We spend one third of our lives at work. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a place or spend that much time committed to a place where I don't feel included, where I don't feel that I belong. I mentioned that you know, when you think about demographics, like our organizations are becoming more diverse, but society is becoming more diverse. And so we need to meet the needs of all people and not just some. So it's incredibly important for leaders to be inclusive. And that's beyond race. You know, that's thinking about age. That's thinking about personality types. That's thinking about gender, sexuality, ability, status, et cetera. And then flexible and agile. Again, you have to pay attention to the trends of what's happening. I read all of the time. The first thing I do in the morning is scan Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes, INC, as well as many other sources of information. And I'm reading to see what's going on, what are some signals for the future, and what I can do to adapt. And so you have to be flexible. You have to be agile. We didn't see the pandemic coming, but it came. And those who did well, those who were able to succeed through the pandemic are the ones who were able to adjust to that volatile time and who were really able to figure out new processes and ways to adapt. Lakia, in your current role, in your past role, I think you have uh, quite a bit of inside knowledge here. So I'm just going to ask you, in your opinion, why do people leave their jobs? Okay. People leave for a variety of reasons. So, you know, some people, especially when you think about the pandemic, a lot of women left the workforce. A lot of people of color left the workforce. A lot of people are caretakers. I think when you really look at the root cause, people leave when they don't feel seen, when they don't feel that they belong, when they are not appreciated for what they bring to the table, when they're taken for granted, people leave when they're mistreated. I often hear from friends and colleagues alike about being disrespected in the workplace, being talked down, organizations having poor boundaries, expecting them to work all hours, not being mindful of the additional responsibilities that they have outside of work, you know, pay gaps. We have seen a lot of shifts in the economy and our organization is shifting in terms of how they think about paying and supporting their people. And so again, people leave for a variety of reasons. 
but when they're physical, when they're psychological, when their other needs are not being met in order to provide for themselves and their families, oftentimes people get to the point that they have no other choice but to leave to preserve who they are. And Lakia, I think it's actually a very important question. What are you passionate about? For me, I'm extremely passionate about helping leaders to lead more effectively and to be better, kinder people. I've worked in a variety of settings. I've had an opportunity to work with thousands of people from across the world. And I mentioned earlier, I'm a first-generation college student. So I'm the first person in my family to get a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degree. I come from a working-class, poor environment. I'm a Black woman in society, but I'm also smart and capable. So why shouldn't I have equal access and opportunity? And I know there's a lot of people like me, regardless of race, who want to succeed, who want to have opportunities in life. And based on the barriers they're facing, they may feel as if they're not good enough. They may feel that they're unworthy, that it's impossible. And I'm passionate about helping them to see that regardless of the barriers and challenges you face, you're just as good, you're just as capable. And being that person who's going to be a catalyst to help them get there, the person who helps them attain their goals. Wow. Lakia, we love your passion. That's one of the reasons why we wanted you on this podcast episode. So thanks. Thanks for being a part of it today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. So first of all, just for all of our listeners, we're going to make sure we put your contact information in our show notes in case any of our listeners would like to contact you for any reason for any of your services. Uh, again, thanks for being a part of today's discussion. Now, we're going to put you in the hot seat for one last time for the final segment. We like to call the Briefings Minute. So we're going to fire off a minute worth of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. Just give us the first answer that comes to mind. You ready? I'm ready. Here we go. So one of your Gallup strengths is being strategic. What is your favorite childhood game where you always had the perfect strategy? <laughs> you hear the evil laugh. Uh, probably Monopoly. <laughs> But it's funny because my partner will not play Monopoly with me because I'm so strategic. And whenever I say, let's play, he's like, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> That's yeah. great. I, Monopoly always ended up with the with the, the board flipped over at my house and everyone walking away mad, so. Same, and I will say the adult version of Monopoly recommendation for everyone is cash flow. All right. Oh, okay. Excellent. We'll check that out. It's rich dad, poor dad. There's a game about learning how to manage your finances more effectively. And I'm still learning, but I'm extremely strategic as I'm playing that game. Ooh. Reward monopoly. I like it. Hypothetical time. You're trapped in an underground bunker with a TV that's playing one show for a month straight. What show would you want on? Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) going old school there i like it it's not old school gray's anatomy is still on i still watch it well my daughter was born around gray's anatomy time and she's graduating from high school this year so i'll call that a hybrid too old school new school i'll 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 take it but the fact that it's still on must be good right it has to be 
So we dug around a little bit. We know that you were previously a volunteer for the Girl Scouts. Am I correct? I was, yeah. Right. So what's the best Girl Scout cookie? C is for cookie. That's good enough for me. Ooh. Samoas. Definitely Samoas. Do you put them in the freezer? I don't put Samoas in the freezer. I put Thin Mints in the freezer. I put almonds in the freezer. (laughs) So Thin Mints in the freezer, Samoas, I just leave them out because, you know, give me a couple of days and they're gone. (laughs) You may have answered the question already previously in this podcast, but let's say it's a Saturday morning. What's the first thing you do? I love coffee. And so the first thing I do as soon as I get up, I mean, besides check my phone, we're all addicted. Let's admit it. The first thing I do after checking my phone, I have a really fancy coffee machine is I walk into my kitchen and I turn on my machine to get ready for some really good coffee. Addicted to the phone and the coffee. I, I understand <laughs> that. Toby, we all have to- <laughs> Understood. And that's the point of the segment. Let's, let's, let's put it all out there. If you were to give a college commencement speech, what's one piece of advice you want to share with the graduating class? Travel the world. I've been to over 45 countries around the world. I shared with you when we first got started that I'm going gorilla trekking this summer. And I think everybody should have a passport and travel the world. And not agree more. So, Lakia, you're from the San Diego area. What's better there, the fish tacos or the Cali burrito? So I'm actually from San Bernardino, but I live in San Diego. I have to rep my hometown since my best friend's the mayor there. But definitely Cali Burrito. Carne is sucking all day. Well, excellent. Well, that's the buzzer. Thanks again for joining us, Lakia. Thank you, Kobe. Thank you, Frank. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you'd like more information about association briefings and how we can help your association produce a podcast or a unique data-driven newsletter, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See you next time.